And let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. Chapter 13, rather. If you're with us this morning, and we're in a series entitled Gleanings Through the Book of Genesis, and you don't have a Bible, just wait to one of these guys coming up the aisle right now, and they'll put a Bible in your hand. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift uh, from the Lord to you today. We pick things up in Genesis chapter uh, 13, verse 5. And Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were great, so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And so Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. It is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, and if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan. And it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. And then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly evil and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift, up, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever." And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, we know your word is always alive, and we know that you're speaking God through your word, and we pray that you would couple with all of that uh, ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak into our personal relationship and our personal life with you this morning. We pray that this word would not come to us merely as a sermon or merely something to listen to and to uh, begin in the brain and end in the brain, but that it would be something that we would receive right from your throne into our hearts and into our personal relationship with you this morning. Speak to us, Lord, from your throne as we study your word this morning. We pray for this work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 
In this passage of Scripture, Abram's nephew Lot provides us with uh, what I think is invaluable instruction concerning the vital importance of our decision-making in life. And certainly uh, this issue is an issue that's important to all of us, and it applies to each of our lives uh, due to the fact that our lives uh, consist in what uh, seems to be an endless series of decisions. Uh, Where to live, uh, who to marry, what career to pursue, uh, right down to the more mundane things in life. Uh, what clothes to wear on a daily basis, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, uh, what we eat, on and on and on it goes. Life is just this uh, seemingly endless series of uh, decisions. We're always making a decision about something. And all of that's hard enough in life, but decisions are not autonomous things. Uh, They are not independent things. They are not self-existent things. Every decision the Bible teaches puts us on a path of some kind, uh, moving forward. And uh, every uh, path that then leads us to a particular destination. And the destination that that path leads us to is only as good as the decision uh, that we have made. The book of Proverbs speaks to this, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, there is a way, speaking of a path, there is a way that seems right uh, to a man, but its end uh, is the way of death. And here is the acknowledgement that every decision puts us on a path. And it not only puts us on a path, but it ha- every path that we find ourselves on has uh, an end. It leads us somewhere. If I tell a lie, that uh, puts me on a path that is now going to unfold uh, in my life, a path I would not be on if I had told the truth. Uh, speaking the truth puts me on an entirely different path going forward. If I choose to take uh, uh, illegal drugs or mind-altering drugs, I can't say illegal drugs anymore because we're legalizing all of these uh, things as well. But if we take these kind of drugs that are so destructive and so addictive, that puts me uh, on a path uh, that is now going to unfold before me. It's going to lead me somewhere. And it's going to lead me to a completely different path in life than if I had chosen never to begin to take uh, illegal drugs. And so it is with sexual immorality, uh, with crime, with drunkenness, with, uh, with debt, and, and so forth. Additionally, all of our doing in life is the result of some decision that we have made uh, primarily. Uh, The one always comes out of the other. All of our doing is a result of our choosing. And thus we can never control our doing until we control and until we learn to guide our decision making. Uh, For example, uh, a life of drug addiction or of sexual immorality or lying or crime or cheating and stealing. 
uh, th that kind of a life, it doesn't begin with an action. It never begins with an action. It always begins with a decision that then gives birth to uh, the actions. And thus it is absolutely impossible to overstate the importance of our decision-making in life. And I know that I've used negative examples of paths that we don't want to find ourselves on, paths that are destructive, that are crushing uh, to us, but the same truth applies to when we make good decisions in our life, when we make godly decisions in life. Those decisions then put us on paths as well. But those paths are wonderful paths. Those are blessed uh, paths. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul writes, and he said, Do not be deceived. Why would he preface uh, anything he's going to say with, uh, don't lie to yourself about this, except that we have a tendency to lie to ourselves about the thing that he's about to state to us. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And because of the passage that we're looking at here this morning, and we're going to be looking specifically at this uh, younger man by the name of Lot, uh, we're going to be examining this lesson more from the vantage point of how not to make decisions, uh, because that's what his life teaches us uh, supremely. I'll never forget, I mention it every once in a while, but it's uh, just lodged in my mind. Karen and I were new Christians at Calvary Chapel in Napa, and uh, she was a part of putting on a children's program that uh, was called Anshilvania. And the great uh, theme of that uh, entire presentation, it was meant to be uh, the message to be poured into the lives of children, and the earlier the better. Uh, but the theme of that, that presentation was, you win or lose by the way that you choose. And you can hardly uh, plant a better uh, lesson into the heart of a child than, or an adult uh, than that. You notice the circumstances they're given to us here in verses 5 through 7. Abram and his uh, nephew Lot, they're in the land of Canaan. They're camped somewhere between Bethel and Ai, about uh, 10 miles north of what is Jerusalem today. Uh, this was land that God had promised to Abram and where God promised to make a great nation of him, uh, a nation through whom he would bless uh, God would bless the entire world, as we saw in chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. And significantly, when God had called to Abram to go to Canaan, he had told him not only to leave his home country of Chaldea in going to Canaan, but he was to leave his family. Uh, but uh, Abram did not uh, obey God as, as uh, technically and as rightly as he ought to have been. He brought his family uh, with him. And unfortunately, Abram brought uh, his nephew Lot with him. And uh, that decision is going to prove to be a continual heartache uh, to, to Abram. Lots of trouble going to come his way as a result of it. 
Now, by this time, as we're told in verse 5, both Abram and Lot possess uh, very great uh, herds and and flocks. They've got a lot of sheep and they've got a lot of cattle. Both of them are very wealthy at this point in time. We're told in verse 7 that as a result of this, there was a strife that began to develop between the herdsmen of uh, Lot and the herdsmen of, of Abram. And uh, the reason for the strife is given to us in verse 6. The land uh, did not have enough money uh, where they were located, didn't have enough water, and it didn't have enough food to sustain uh, both of their very large uh, herds. And so uh, complicating all of this was the fact that the Canaanites and the Parasites Uh, still lived in the land, and of course, they would have taken uh, the best of the land. So uh, there simply wasn't enough to sustain uh, the herds and the flocks of both of these men. And it it wasn't long before the strife between the herdsmen, of course, comes to the attention of the bosses, uh, to both Abram and to Lot. And you notice the Abram solution to all of this and his offer that he makes to Lot in verses 8 and 9. And, uh, and he declares to, to Lot, Abram is a peace-loving man. He puts great value on peace in life. And he expressed to Lot that he had no interest in engaging in any kind of conflict uh, with him. Uh, not on uh, any level, and certainly not on, on this level. And so it was clear to Abram uh, that a separation needed to occur, uh, but he didn't want this separation to turn into uh, a fight. After all, they were brethren, they were family. And uh, so as an expression what I, of what I think is just stunning grace and humility, certainly in that culture, Here you have Abram, and he offers Lot the first choice of all of the land of Canaan. Uh, It's put before him, and he could have whatever he chose in in order to secure this separation. If Lot went uh, left with his flocks and his herds and his family, Abram would go right. If Lot went right, then Abram would uh, go left. And uh, here you have now this separation that occurs between Lot and Abram in the land of Canaan that ought to have taken place uh, in, in the city of, of Ur of the Chaldees long before. Lot's decision is recorded for us in verses 10 uh, through 13. And we're told in uh, verse 11 that Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan toward uh, Zohar. Uh, The land is described for us. Uh, It is well watered everywhere, we're told in verse 10. It was like the Garden of Eden in terms of its lushness. It was like the best of the land in Egypt, Egypt being so uh, well watered by that uh, tremendous uh, water resource in the form of, of the Nile River. And with the choice that uh, Lot made then to, uh, uh, the, for the plain of, of Jordan towards Zoar, now Abram and Lot uh, were separated. And Abram just simply stayed put in the land of Canaan, and uh, Lot then headed toward uh, uh, greener pastures, in, uh, uh, towards Sodom. 
How Lot came to his decision is described for us in uh, three phases, uh, phrases that are used here in, in uh, what is essentially a study on not, how not to make a decision as a child of God. In verses 10 and 11, you notice the phrase in verse 10, his eyes saw. Uh, verse 10, it was well watered. Verse 11, Lot chose for himself. But before we uh, get into that, uh, I want to uh, have you, ask you to allow me to kind of tell you the rest of the story. Uh, uh, what unfolds now from this decision in Lot's life? The path that it did place him on and the end that it was going to, that path was going to take him to. He makes a single decision and it launches an entire progression uh, fo uh, forward in his life. And uh, here, in terms of the rest of the story, uh, we're told in verse 12 that Lot pitched his tent even as far as Sodom, uh, but that was just the beginning of what would be a, a terrible slide in his life. By the time uh, that decision runs its full course, Lot will simply be unrecognizable for the human being that he was when he was in association uh, with uh, Abram. By uh, chapter 14, verse 12, we will read that Lot uh, is then living and dwelling in Sodom. Then by chapter 19, verse 1, we'll read of him sitting in the gates uh, of Sodom. He has become uh, accounted as one of the leaders uh, of the city. And so often is the case, just like Lot, we can convince ourselves that we're going to make a decision and we will only go so far uh, in moving toward wickedness. But then having made the first step, we discover that taking step number two and step number three are comparatively uh, easy. And then immediately prior to God's judgment upon Sodom, uh, astonishingly, really, horrifyingly, uh, Lot will offer his virgin unmarried daughters uh, to the sexual lusts of a, a crowd of men in the city of Sodom who are pounding on his door. And soon after, he will escape the judgment of Sodom, but only by the grace of God, but his wife will not. She will be lost in the judgment of the Sodom that Lot introduced her to. And then as if it can't get any worse, ultimately and shamefully, he will bear children with his two daughters giving birth to the Moabites and to the Ammonites. And now under the, the weightiness of, of considering where a single decision in life uh, can take us in life, uh, let's learn some needed lessons from Lot on how not to make decisions as a child uh, of God. And uh, it is uh, it, it, learning how to do something, uh, learning by a positive example or learning by a negative example uh, as long as the lesson is learned. The first thing we notice uh, is that Lot was thoroughly a worldly man. He is what the Bible refers to as a carnal man. It is possible for a person to be a carnal Christian. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth 
And they were not all carnal, but many of them were in that church. And he said, I couldn't speak to you as, to, as unto spiritual, but as to carnal. And yet he still calls them brethren. And uh, the carnal uh, Christian uh, is the man who makes his decisions in life uh, based solely upon what he sees, solely upon uh, the lust of his eyes. And you notice there in verse 10, his eyes saw. And again in verse 10, that when he lifted his eyes and he saw all of the plain of Jordan, but that's as high as he lifted his eyes. He didn't lift his eyes any higher than the plain of Jordan. He did not lift his eyes to God. He didn't lift his eyes to heaven. He wasn't interested in taking God into account in his decision. And the carnal Christian, like, uh, as I said, so many there in the church at Corinth, is the person who's saved. They're on their way to heaven by the grace of God. But they live a life that is utterly dominated uh, by the flesh, utterly dominated by uh, their bodily appetites, without any kind of ultimate concern for the will of God in their lives, for the purposes of God for their lives. If their body tells them to do something, they do it. And they never think uh, of anything other than uh, obeying it. They, they obey their body, bodily appetites over and above God's Word or the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, if their emotions tell them to do uh, something, then that is what they do. And they do it uh, irregardless of what uh, the Word of God has to say. If they think something in their minds, then they immediately proceed to do it. And they do so without giving any thought to the will of God or the purpose of God in the situation or in their lives. And the carnal Christian is one who is entirely self-willed. And like Lot, all they take into consideration in their decision-making is their five physical senses without any proper consideration to uh, the spiritual realm, to God, again, to God's plan and purposes for their lives. And so the first way to avoid a path like Lot's in life is to just stop for a moment in the privacy of our own hearts. And if uh, any of us in this room, myself included, sat and listened to what it is that I just said, and we say to ourselves, that describes me entirely. All of my decisions are made on the basis of what I think, what I uh, feel, what my body tells me to do. Uh, I never give consideration. Uh, to God, His Word, His will, in any decision that, that I make. And if we uh, recognize that about ourselves, then the first thing we'll want to do is repent of living uh, that kind of a life uh, uh, this morning. To say, God, I, my eyes are opened up to this. I see what I'm doing. It's the same mistake uh, that Lot made. And uh, I don't want to be that kind of person any longer. And God will meet us there in that prayer. And he will uh, make us into something different. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 5, Paul writes about the seriousness of all of this. Uh, he said in terms of 
being a carnal Christian. He said, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The second thing that we notice about Lot here, and and it's akin to what we've just spoken about here and see it in verse 11, we're plainly told of Lot's decision that Lot uh, chose. Uh, Lot makes this decision uh, solely and entirely uh, on his own. There isn't any mention or any hint of prayer uh, on Lot's part in the entire account concerning uh, the decision. And so this was a prayerless decision, and prayerless decisions are always a recipe uh, for uh, disaster. Uh, Can I get an amen on that from our own lives? We all recognize it. And the bigger the, the decision, Uh, the greater the potential for disaster. And again, I assume that each of us as Christians, we've learned this uh, the hard way uh, on on some level or or another. When a decision needed to be made and uh, we knew what decision uh, we wanted uh, to to make here, we knew what decision and direction we wanted the situation to go in, and, uh, and after all, we looked at the decision, and it seemed so obvious and, uh, and so clear to anyone what the right decision was. Of course, there's no need to pray uh, for something like this. It's as clear as a bell what ought to be uh, done here. But then as the situation unfolded, what looked like a no-brainer uh, turned into a terrible mess, and uh, one we could not have ever for, uh, foreseen in terms of uh, unfolding, but what God would have happily steered us away from if we had merely brought him into uh, the decision-making. And, uh, and, the, and the, the sting of that, and, and having learned the lesson, as, as if you're anything like me, so often uh, the hard way, Uh, It produces within us a tremendous determination then going forward to involve God in every decision uh, in, in, in prayer for the rest of our lives. But it is amazing how often... Uh, absolutely massive decisions are made by Christians without any prayer at all. And perhaps there might be one or two of us here this morning, and here you are about to make a major decision in life, and you realize you have not given one minute of prayer to that decision. And Lot teaches us to take a step back and take the time to bring that decision before the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
in all of your ways, major decisions, minor decisions, in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The third thing we notice here is Lot's decision was utterly selfish. It was a, a self-dominated. It was a proud. Uh, it was just a naked expression of selfish ambition, uh, utterly devoid of humility or gratitude. Did I miss anything uh, in, in that, that list? His treatment of his, uh, and all of those things are united around one thing. His treatment of his uncle Abram uh, is really, really appalling. And when Abram made the offer to Lot to take the choice of the land, he was completely sincere in making that offer uh, to, uh, to Lot. But Lot is the nephew. He should have uh, protested mightily uh, at, at even the thought that he would be the one of the two that would make that decision. He ought to have uh, deferred, certainly in that ancient culture, but in any culture, even in today's culture, where, uh, where uh, there is so little respect for the, the things that the Bible tells us to have respect for. But he should have deferred to Abram. It should have never even entered into his mind that he should be the one to make that uh, choice. Abram was his elder. Abram was superior in terms of the position within uh, the family. He was the uncle and he was the patriarch. Lot was the nephew. Abram had been Lot's guardian. He had been his benefactor. Lot owed everything that he was and everything that he had uh, to his uncle. And Abram was the one that God himself had made the actual heir and owner of the land of Canaan. And Lot knew all of this. And his actions reveal that he possessed zero humility, zero other-centeredness, and really an astonishing, mind-boggling uh, sense of entitlement. And these things are running rampant within our culture uh, today, which makes it important to heed the lesson for ourselves. Any decision that we are considering making that only takes ourselves into account and fails to treat others with respect, fails to take others into account, is a decision that is being made contrary to the heart of God and to the Word of God. And it will always turn out poorly as a result. It will turn out poorly in the eyes of God, and it will turn out poorly in the eyes of others. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 10. Uh, Be kindly affectionate, the Bible says, to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another. Uh, famously in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your uh, elders. The fourth thing that we notice here is in verse 10, in terms of Lot, is that all that mattered to Lot was that the plain of Jordan was well watered. In other words, that it was potentially a place in which to make a lot of money, uh, a place to become materially uh, prosperous. And so his decision is driven by greed. It is driven by covetousness, and covetousness is the ungodly desire uh, for more. And, uh, and the, the motivations of greed and covetousness, uh, they're very untrustworthy motivations in decision-making. And they will uh, unfailingly lead us into awful decisions. God will never use greed to guide us or lead us in life, and he will never use covetousness to guide us or to lead us uh, in life. And it's so important to always just stop dead in our tracks when we sense that we are being driven by either greed or covetousness uh, is the motivation behind the decision that we're going to make. That will be a decision that we will ultimately deeply uh, regret. And this is such an important lesson, I think, for each of us as Christians as we're trying to live this Christian life for God in a, a very materialistic culture, a very greed-dominated uh, culture where we are taught all day, every day, whether we're conscious of it or not, uh, taught that the supreme consideration in any decision uh, is the economic one, that that trumps everything else, that reigns over uh, everything else. And to look at a decision and if it makes us richer or it makes us more powerful or uh, it provides us with greater material security, then what is there to pray about it? What is there to even think about? Again, this is a no-brainer boom, and we just simply do it. And that's Lot. And that's what Lot did. And Lot teaches us that promotions and raises, the lure of material wealth, can move us from jobs, from cities, from relationships that God does not intend us to be moved from. And I think one of the saddest things that we witness here with Lot, and it is played out over and over and over again even today, is that under the lure of more money, he ended up leaving the spiritual protection and influence that he so desperately needed from his uncle uh, Abram, a spiritual influence that he needed far more than he realized. And this happens again all of the time. 
People pull up stakes. They move elsewhere solely on the, the consideration of it will be, mean more money and fail to put any value at all, and I mean any value at all, upon the spiritual relationship and influence, spiritual influence in their life that they might be losing and cannot afford to lose in making this economic decision. And all of that brings us to our final lesson, what is is found in uh, a statement in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful uh, before the Lord. And in this we learn that we need to be careful about anything that we are purposely ignoring or that we are purposely turning a blind eye to uh, or refusing to allow to enter into our decision-making processes. And we all have a tendency to look at this uh, in that way, to look all at one category of this is what it's going to mean for me and then to fail to look at it uh, objectively and broadly. And, and so often in a decision, all we want to do is see this and then we willfully ignore all of the liabilities and the downsides that there are uh, to the decision. And so we go into uh, the decision blind. Lot made this decision without giving any consideration to the spiritual implications of the decision, Uh, without any concern for the spiritual and moral environment he was moving into, that he was taking his wife and his family into as well, uh, without any hesitation over the fact that this decision involved not moving from evil toward good, but moving from good toward evil. And he was willing to completely ignore this truth because it was an inconvenient truth. It might have gotten in the way of the, the decision he wanted to make and the things that he wanted so bad. Now, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, rather, I think in one of the most Uh, gracious assessments of any human being uh, in the entire Bible declares Lot to be a righteous man in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. And so we look at that and it causes us to realize okay so maybe Lot was uh, able to enter into the environment uh, of Sodom, to live in Sodom, and not be affected personally by its wickedness. But his wife was not able to, and his children were not able to. Sodom will end up destroying them. It will, des- it will end up destroying their family, their Christian witness, their lives. And the lesson that is so important to us today is that as husbands, as fathers, as the head of any household, it is important that we make the spiritual welfare of our family the highest priority in our decision-making 
after uh, God's will for, uh, for uh, that, that decision-making. And the highest priority in terms of the decision-making is never to be uh, money. Because there are many things in life that are much more important than money or material things. Uh, things like a good marriage, things like godly children, things like a godly family, things like uh, children who are uh, innocent concerning evil. And Lot teaches us to never overlook the spiritual and the moral implications of our decisions, the effect they're going to have upon us and upon uh, on others that are going to be in, uh, uh, affected by the decision. And to ask ourselves, will this decision, no matter how much money is being offered to me, will this decision take me into temptations to sin that I am not confident I will be able to stand against? Because if that's the case, then ultimately we not only will lose everything spiritually, but we will lose everything materially that we have sacrificed the spiritual for. And it happens all of the time. To ask ourselves, will this decision require me uh, to compromise uh, my faith? Will this new position... Will this new job demand that of me? Or will this decision require that God's call upon my life, the gifting that he's placed within my life, it now is going to cease uh, to be a priority in my life? Now, this doesn't mean that God will never direct a Christian uh, to move to a city or to a job or to a location that is spiritually or morally dark. He does it all the time. He does it all the time with missionaries and he does it all the time with others. God is an example of it. God called Abram to Canaan. And at this very time, Canaan is a very, very dark place under the Canaanites, both morally and spiritually. But the major distinction between Abram and Lot in this regard is that God called Abram to go to Canaan, and God never called Lot to go to Sodom. And if God calls us to go into a morally or spiritually dark environment then he'll also give us the grace and the anointing to stand for him there. The passage closes with God confirming his promises to Abraham and essentially telling Abraham, Abraham, you will never lose anything of my promises to you on the basis of any decision anybody else makes in your life around you. And in verses 14 through 17, he re reconfirms his promise uh, to the land that, that uh, he, God was giving it to Abram, and Abram would, uh, and his descendants would have every portion of it. And Abram's response is there in verse 18. He moved his tent to the 
uh, terebinth trees of Mamre, uh, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord. And always when we see Abram spoken about in the context of a tent and an altar, he is in a good place. And the tent represents a, a pilgrim mindset that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And then the altar, his, his worship and his relationship with God. And Abram, we're told in the New Testament, looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was in the world, but his heart was set uh, upon uh, heaven. And, and here, as we see this uh, chapter close here, Abram, for all of this that has gone on with Lot, he's the picture of peace. And why is he a picture of peace? Because there's no better or richer place to be in in life than to have the confidence that we are in the middle of God's will for our lives, whatever the circumstances might be. I remember being a relatively young Christian and uh, hearing uh, Greg Laurie, Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, tell a story uh, about uh, an incident early in his ministry life and in his life with his wife, uh, Kathy. He's the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship down in Southern California. And he talked about having started the church there in Riverside and things were going well and they were living in some very, very simple, 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 simple situation. And maybe they got a couple of quarters to rub together and they decided to move into something uh, a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And it's a no-brainer, right? You've got the resources, you just make the decision. And he said that they made the move and got everything in place in the, this new uh, place they were staying in. And they walked in and they realized it wasn't right. There was no sense of the Lord's presence and his favor upon that new environment and the way that it was in the other environment. And that illustration that I heard Greg make, uh, it hasn't protected me from, because uh, I'm a numbskull myself, protected me from uh, never making that kind of a decision in my life. But it was planted in my heart and at the very least, it always helped me recognize immediately when I find, found myself in a similar situation under the same circumstances. There is no place more peaceful, more blessed, more rich in the entire world as heaven defines riches, and only heaven can properly define riches, than to be right in the middle of God's will, whatever those circumstances uh, might, might be. And thankfully in all of this, the Lord allows U-turns, and He is the God of, of second chances, whether on a, a relatively small scale where we realize we have made 
a bad decision, maybe even a disaster decision that has put us on a course that now we see clearly is going to end in, a, in an epic fail. And, and what do we do if we sit here this morning and we realize, I have made a, in this instance, or I have continually made prayerless, disastrous decisions and now I recognize the course that it's put me on as a disaster as well. What do I do? And what we do in a time like that is we simply confess the sin of our self-will to God and to ask Him for forgiveness for that sin. And then we freshly surrender our lives to God and to His will and to his purpose uh, for our lives. And then having repented, we then turn to God, and we begin to make God the first person we talk to about any decision within our lives, that every decision now uh, comes uh, out and is birthed out of a season of prayer with him now going forward. And he promises that he will, at that moment in time, uh, retake the reins of our life and he will begin to direct us into his will that is described in the Bible so wonderfully as good and acceptable and perfect. And no matter how bad our decisions might have been in the past or the consequences of which we might be almost drowning in now, this is something that is open for each of us to be able to do. The confidence, the knowledge of realizing that what is in my past whether 10 seconds ago or 10 weeks ago or whatever the time is, that whatever is back there, that going forward, if I will make God give him that place in my life and decision-making, that going forward from this point on, God has a will for my life that he himself describes as good, and is acceptable and perfect. And it is only because of Him and because His willingness now to unfold His will within our lives as we invite Him to do that, that there is any hope that can be introduced into some of the messes that we make of our lives and in our lives. But this is the hope, and it is a massive hope. And God is willing to take that place and to move us forward into the glory of his will. As we would confess our sin, as we would repent of this way of living that we've been in, surrender ourselves fresh and anew, and then by his Spirit, commit to make him a part of the decision-making in our lives.
If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, the most important decision anyone will ever make in life is what you will do with the person of Jesus Christ. Because that decision puts you on a path one way or another. And that path leads you to a destination. And the consequences of that decision are eternal and they are irrevocable. John wrote in his first epistle, and this is the testimony that God has given us everlasting life. And this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus speaking very much to what we see here with Lot, uh, declared to the entire world. Uh, and he said, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world but loses his own soul? And if you have never trusted in Christ this morning, never put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the salvation that is found in him, and you would like to do that this morning, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they would love to answer your questions and pray with you to begin the relationship with God that you have been created for. If you need prayer for anything in your life, speaking to all of us now, these same men and women would love to pray with you and for you. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this immensely practical lesson related to Lot's life. And I pray for us and we pray for one another and everyone that has been within the reach of, of this sermon this morning, that you would use it, Lord, to correct in our lives any lot-like decisions that we find ourselves in the middle of. And then, Lord, that you would use this time in your word to forever, the remainder of this pilgrimage of ours, protect us from the disastrous consequences of these kind of decisions. We trust for you to take your word, this word, and to give it a living place in our spirit and our relationship with you for the remainder of this life for you to bring it to our remembrance as needed. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.